As a young man living in New Orleans, Edward Haslam was stunned by news of a lurid murder. The death of Dr. Mary Sherman 50 years ago last month shocked the Crescent City, but was even more troubling for Mr. Haslam because his father knew the victim personally. They both worked in the orthopedics department at Tulane University. Dr. Sherman was also a prominent cancer researcher. Our guest today notes that the only time he ever saw his physician father cry was after Dr. Haslam had been asked to examine the victim's body due to its unusual condition. This murder would haunt our guest for years. He would eventually publish what his personal research uncovered, which included quite a lot of strange goings-on in New Orleans in the early 60s. That original work led to Mr. Haslam's more recent book, Dr. Mary's Monkey, How an Unsolved Murder of a Doctor, a Secret Laboratory in New Orleans, and Cancer-Causing Monkey Viruses are linked to Lee Harvey Oswald, the JFK assassination, and emerging global epidemics. As noted in the title, this murder remains unsolved. But as we will soon discover, Ed Haslam has uncovered persuasive evidence for a clandestine research facility, which is probably where Dr. Sherman actually died. For unlike the familiar scenario of a murder being made to look like an accident, it seems the doctor was fatally injured by something going wrong in the secret medical facility, after which the best course of action for those needing to conceal what happened was to simulate a murder in the victim's apartment. Playing a passing role in this New Orleans research facility the year before Dr. Sherman's death in 1964 was none other than Lee Harvey Oswald. Edward Haslam believes he can explain what was going on at that facility in terms of secret research into viruses from monkey cell lines which contaminated the original polio vaccines. Mr. Haslam thinks this contamination may have led to increases in cancer rates in recent decades. We've got a lot of ground to cover, so let's get talking with the author. Edward Haslam, welcome to Radio Parallax. Thank you very much, Doug. I'd like to start with this strange CSI-type evidence of Dr. Sherman's death. She was officially murdered, with the murderer lighting a fire in her apartment to conceal the evidence, but the nature of the injury to her body indicates something else happened. Can you tell us about that? The, the first thing the public was told was that her body was naked, which makes everyone think sex. And then that she was stabbed seven or eight times, which makes everyone think psycho. And then that her body was set on fire, which doubles in on the psycho thing. And the headlines of the newspaper said an intruder forced his way into the apartment and slashed her to death and then set her fire, her body ablaze. And, you know, all this sensational language. The city was like uh, lit up like a Christmas tree with rumors uh, going around. And... The next day they said, oh, by the way, there was no forced entry, so the uh, intruder didn't force his way in. And um, the burglary motive that was mentioned 24 times in the newspaper yesterday um, doesn't hold up because the jewelry wasn't stolen, you know, the whole, you know, and the thing starts falling apart. But And then they shut it down after about two weeks. And um, I wind up hearing things eventually through my family um, about this murder that the public did not hear. And so I, I had verbal suspicions all the way back in the 60s. And um, the key thing I was told that nobody else was told, that it, her right arm was missing. Then in the 1960s, another strange thing happened. Um, Jim Garrison, who was the district attorney uh, down there, started uh, investigating the Kennedy assassination but because it had been blamed on Lee Oswald. And Lee Oswald had been in New Orleans 
um, for about five months prior to the assassination. As he started looking into it, his researchers identified that this woman we're talking about, Dr. Mary Sherman, had been involved in some kind of secret cancer research with David Ferry, who was his primary suspect. Now, now this is odd because what I know about Mary Sherman that the public doesn't know at this point is her background, okay? She is from the University of Chicago. She's a world-class doctor. She's chair of the Pathology Committee of the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. She um, teaches at Tulane, as does my father's, which is why they're friends and colleagues. And she runs a cancer um, laboratory over at um, Ochsner Clinic. And David Ferry, on the other hand, has no medical credentials. You know, he's a political loose cannon. He's got one foot in the mafia, one foot in the CIA. So, so how do you, what do you do with this claim that these two people are working together on some sort of secret cancer thing? And, and then I hear through um, friends who have family members involved in the investigation that, that people think they're making a biological weapon. And, and this is Cold War stuff. New Orleans is nuts about uh, Castro and Cuba, and, and so the rationale for this biological weapon is they're going to kill Fidel Castro. And this is all what I know in the 60s, okay? And I've got a lot of other distractions in my life, and like growing up and getting married and all that stuff. <laughs> and it's, so it's about 30 years later when I um, finally go to the library and I'm able to get my hands on the autopsy reports protocol, um, the police reports, the homicide report, and all the media coverage. And I take them home and put them on my uh, kitchen table and read through them. And I realize that the media never tells the public that Mary Sherman's arm is burned off. And what I see in the autopsy on that is not only is her arm vaporized by heat, her entire right rib cage from the shoulder down to her hip bone is missing, is gone, is vaporized. And then immediately next to that is unburned human hair and unburned skin. We, we have this, this ultimately strange situation because hair is the easiest thing to burn on the body. Bones are so difficult, uh, they usually just dehydrate in a cremation, which is about two hours at 1,600 degrees, and it takes thousands of degrees to, to disintegrate sure. them. The only place you ever see this is in high-voltage electrocutions. Well, Ed, if I, I want to stop you right there because, you know, uh, you have some photos in the book showing the, the profound nature of injury to the, to the victim's corpse. And I went around and, and, and queried some firemen I know about the nature of, of the heat involved in this. And to burn away a bone, as you say, in a crematorium, you require very high heat. And they both absolutely agreed that a fire hot enough to burn away an arm would certainly have been hot enough to burn down the entire apartment they found her in. So this, this, some, it just definitely does not add up. Right. And we have the photos of the room in which her body was found. And what we see when we look at those is the curtains next to the bed didn't burn. The books on the nightstand didn't burn. The wooden furniture didn't burn. The carpet underneath the thing didn't burn. I mean, it, there's, it was a mattress fire. And nobody even reported seeing a flame. All they got was a bunch of smoke and, and, and soot out of it. And um, so the whole thing didn't make sense. And when you ask the, the simple, obvious question, what burned off her arm? Well, whatever it is, is not in the apartment. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing in the apartment that could have done that damage to her body. 
So what you're left with is the inescapable conclusion that uh, Mary Sherman's body was returned to her apartment and they faked the murder scene and then they didn't bother to tell the public the main forensic fact in the case. I want to note too that uh, when you, as a younger man, you, when you were taking interest in this, you had a family friend who I guess he was a, in the coroner's department or something. You, you, you inquired with him about a report at that time and apparently got very strongly rebuffed. Oh, it, it, this guy, Big Mike, was a professional murder investigator for the DA's office. It was his job to go get <laughs> murder reports yeah. on a regular basis. And when I asked him if he could get the Mary Sherman um, uh, murder uh, file for me just because I was thinking about writing a screenplay or something, he said, no problem, I do it all the time, call me back in 48 hours. And when I called him back in 48 hours, he, he was livid. He said, what did you get me into? He said, I almost got fired just for asking to see this file. He said, what's going on with this murder? And, you know, that's a lot of political heat. That is a cover-up. So the, the first thing, you know, I looked into this murder and I discovered a cover-up, okay? As I started to say, well, what are they covering up and why? Because it takes a, a, a lot of muscle, a lot of right. political muscle to cover stuff up like this. Right. And it, this story went all over the AP Center, all over the country. It's in the Wall Street Journal and all that stuff. And, and I went through the archives and I looked at article after article after article, and none of them ever said her body was severely burned or that her arm was missing. I mean, none yeah. of that stuff was in any of the reports. So I said, well, somebody has a reason for not wanting the world to know that her arm is missing. And I finally figured out the reason was they didn't want people going around uptown New Orleans looking for a high-voltage piece of electrical equipment that could have burned off her arm. Because she was a doctor, and that would have logically been in one of the hospitals. Sure. You know, this is what I started out with. Now, what, you, what your listeners, from your listeners' point of view at this point, um, you might say, well, that's interesting. What has that got to do with me now? And the point is, when you get into who these people were and what they were doing, you will realize it is very seriously connected to the health crisis that this country's in today with the cancer. And so um, that is the next layer on this is I start um, saying, okay, Mary Sherman, who did she work for? Well, she worked for Dr. Alton Oshner, the founder of the um, Oshner Foundation Hospital, or Oshner Clinic there in New Orleans. And he, then I get Oshner's FBI file, and he's got a 40-year history of secret assignments with the U.S. military and uh, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, FBI, um, U.S. Public Health Service, and one other unnamed agency, presumably the CIA. His whole facility is set up to take care of the oligarchy of Latin America. I mean, it's, it's really... He was actually lent the money by the by um, Congress to build his place on the Hill Burton Fund, which he was supposed to be taking care of indigents locally, but he wasn't. He was paying, getting cash customers out of uh, Central and South America. Uh, another odd twist on this: Lee Harvey Oswald gets put on the radio in August '63. The recordings, the actual tapes on that, are made into a phonograph album, a 33 RPM photograph album photograph album and distributed by an organization that Alt Noshner is president of and founder of. 
I want to jump in at this point just to note that uh, back in the day, Dr. Oshner's goings-on were, were of great interest to, to Jim Garrison. You mentioned the book. Garrison was actually thinking about uh, taking him into custody to ask him some pointed questions. Right, and that is because this Inca organization was uh, apparently very involved with Oswald. And, you know, Garrison figured this wasn't an accident, and, and Garrison was kind of heavy-handed as a DI. He, he would arrest people and squeeze them until they talked. But that's, you know, just one person's method of fighting crime in a very corrupt city. That, that's Oshner. I mean, he's one player. And then there's Mary Sherman, and I start looking into her in greater de- detail. And I realized that she is widely published in peer-reviewed journals in both cancer and radiation. I mean, she's one of the people bringing radiation into medicine. And she's coming out of the University of Chicago, where I, I know from conversations at home, that she's a close personal friend of Enrico Fermi. Well, you know, Enrico Fermi's the guy that fills out the periodic table and uh, starts nuclear power and is considered by many to be the uh, father of the atomic bomb. He, uh, he did the first sustained nuclear reaction in, in um, University of Chicago. Yeah. So, I mean, Mary is on personal first-name basis with the heaviest hitters in American science, particularly in the areas of radiation. So the idea that this piece of equipment she might have been involved with had something to do with radiation is not a strange idea once you know that background. We're speaking with author Edward Hausman about his book, Dr. Mary's Monkey, How the Unsolved Murder of a Doctor, a Secret Laboratory in New Orleans, and Cancer-Causing Monkey Viruses are linked to Lee Harvey Oswald, the JFK assassination, and emerging global epidemics. You, you, you certainly found evidence in your research that there was some sort of facility in New Orleans that was hush-hush. You, you found some people that went in there and, I guess, had been there dismantling what had been there previously. And their, their description seemed to fit a particle accelerator very well, down to the fact that they had very high-voltage equipment, which, again, points to uh, probably the place where Dr. Sherman sustained her injuries. Yes, and in order to get my head around... What could they have been doing that they're so afraid of that justifies this cover-up, okay? So I started looking into who these people were and what they were involved in. And one of the things I, I came to realize was that Dr. Oshner was both the president of the American Cancer Society at one point, always involved in their leadership, and he was also one of the major stockholders in the polio vaccine. And so I started researching the background of that, and I stumbled upon this idea of cancer-causing viruses. And when I was doing this original work, it was the early 90s, the idea of cancer-causing viruses was not well accepted, you know. Sure. In fact, it was challenged. I was way out on a limb by myself. But I was able to get the history of it and discover that in 19. 19- 57, two researchers up at NCI by the names of Sarah Stewart and Bernice Eddy had discovered a cancer-causing virus which caused multiple types of cancers in multiple types of mammals. They named it polyoma, poly meaning many, oma meaning tumors. And once they made that discovery, it was the first time that NIH had ever really acknowledged the fact that a virus could cause cancer, could trigger the cancer process. And so uh, Congress started throwing a lot of money at them. And by 1959, they had started cataloging the viruses that they were finding in the monkey labs. And, you know, they did monkey virus one, monkey, of course, medicine, they call them simians. So it's simian virus one, simian virus two. By the time they get to simian virus number 40, 
they realize that this virus is identical to the polyoma virus that Stuart and Eddie had discovered in their hamsters. And so they get into another question here. And this all goes back to the polio vaccine, okay, because Oshner's involved with the polio vaccine. The problem is they had grown the polio vaccine on monkey kidney cells. They took the monkeys, killed them, cut out their kidneys, ground them up in a blender and put them in Petri dishes and, and put the polio virus in there and grew the vaccines. But when they made the vaccine, they got it, all the other viruses that were in the monkey kidney cells. And so when they realized that the origin of this polyoma virus was actually the rhesus monkey and that they had had they used the cells of the rhesus monkey to grow the polio vaccine, then they asked the excruciating question, was there a cancer-causing virus in the polio vaccine distributed in the 1950s? And by 1959, they knew the answer was yes. And we should note that this, is, this was a problem you felt with not only the oral vaccine, Dr. Sabin, but also Jonas Salk's original injectable one, that there was a, quite a bit of contamination in these early vaccines. Yes, and, and they were both grown on, on rhesus monkey uh, cells, kidney mm-hmm. cells. I was curious about this um, Sarah Stewart woman, and I started reading about her, and she was uh, originally um, from New Mexico. She came out of agriculture originally, got a um, Ph.D. in bacteriology or something, and then um, went to the University of Chicago. And and then I cross-referenced this with Mary Sherman because I recognized the University of Chicago. Well, Mary Sherman and Sarah Stewart both start medical school at the University of Chicago in, in, in the same year. All right. I mean, two women in a heavy-hitting, <laughs> male-dominated medical school, do you think they knew each other? And, and then I, I get some doctors who, who actually knew them and said, yes, yeah, so they were good friends and stuff. So now we have a personal connection between the woman that discovers polyoma and Mary Sherman. We have a cancer connection between, I mean, Alton Oshner is president of the American Cancer Society, and he's Mary Sherman's boss. And once they realized that this thing was in the polio vaccine, they did not discover this until they had already released 100 million doses. I mean, that's a bad time to realize it. <laughs> you, you also know that in recent years, there's been some acknowledgement by the NIH, which I guess they quickly rescinded, that there indeed had been a problem with these original vaccines. There's two layers to this. One layer, I mean, we have on the front page of the NCI, National Cancer Institute, newsletter, that dozens of monkey viruses contaminated the polio vaccine. And that was printed, page one, no recension, anything else. Then they question whether or not any of those viruses actually cause problems to human health. Of course, when I saw that, I said, well, let's get these statistics, because if there's a real problem, that we ought to really be concerned about, it's going to be obvious in the statistics. And so I got, I went to the medical library and I asked the librarian, I said, I'm looking for NCI statistics on cancer incidence rates. And she brought me back this chart, which was 16 years of data uh, from 1972 to 1988. And there was an absolute conspicuous eruption of soft tissue cancers during that time. The chart is in the back of my book, I put it on my computer and made graphs so you could see what was going on with the data. And there are four soft tissue cancers, breast, prostate, melanoma, and lymphoma, that erupt out of the background, which is essentially flat, and I sit long on the side due to the cigarette issue. There is a conspicuous 
epidemic of cancer that is enormous in its dimensions. I mean, we got back essentially about 20 cases of cancer for every one case of polio, thanks to the, the epidemic. And, and, I mean, this is the biggest mistake in the history of government. I mean, forever, worldwide, you know. Nobody's ever done anything that has these kind of consequences, like bigger than war in, in a lot of cases. All right, we need to hold it there for a moment while we take a short break. This is Radio Parallax. Stick around. Stick around. 